I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town Podcast. In episode 87 of the Food About Town Podcast, I had brewmaster Dean Jones from Genesee over to talk about his role at the pilot program, which runs through the Genesee Brew House. Uh, we talked about you know what they're doing over at the pilot program, his role in the bigger picture of Genesee, and we talked about the Rochester beer community. We also talked about a great event that's happening tonight. That's the lighting of the giant keg tree at Genesee. The event starts at 5 o'clock, runs till 7. The actual lighting happens at 6, but there's food and a special beer release happening tonight. So go out to that. It's a great Rochester event. And I really enjoyed this episode. Dean is a super engaging guy. We nerded out about coffee for a little while. And well, those guys have always heard great things about but this talk was even better than I could have hoped. And I'm really looking forward to having Dean over again to talk more about the Rochester beer scene and kind of just, you know, go back and forth. So hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, share it out on social media. It's at Stromy on Twitter and Instagram, Food About Town on Facebook. And uh, let Dean know next time you're at the brew house that, uh, that you enjoyed hearing him on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Well, Thanksgiving's over, and we're edging closer and closer to the holiday season. I'm sure your radios are polluted with 100% Christmas music all day, every day. Well, I brought something, hopefully, to break things up a little bit, and I've got... Why don't you introduce yourself, sir? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm Dean Jones, brewmaster at the Genesee Brew House here in Rochester, New York. So, that's not your only title, though. No, I'm the head janitor. <laughs> Well, I mean, brewing is brewing's cleaning, right? Absolutely. That's all I do. 90% of my job is cleaning, and the other time is 10% of fun brewing beer. Yeah. And coming up with different recipes and hanging out. And But really, I mean, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. And <laughs> if you're not clean, you know, you, you make bad beer, and that, nobody likes that. So, Well, actually, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that as my first question then. So you're the head brewer at the Genesee Brew House, the pilot program, Genesee Brewing, as well as as well as North American Brewing, or is uh, that no? So I am just the brewmaster of the Pilot Brewery Brewhouse. Okay. So I have a boss, Mike Mueller, who is our corporate brewmaster. Gotcha. Of of NAB. So gotcha. I have somebody to report to. So gotcha. So you're you're focusing on the pilot program mostly. 
I am. Yep, I'm developing all the the cool new fun beers that you see that come out in the bottle. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, the chocolate scotch ale and the, the the coffee stout that just came out recently. They're selling extremely well. Um, so I'm I'm the kind of the R and D guy. That's great. So yep. So your scale is in comparison. What what is your scale barrels wise versus? Uh, per batch versus the versus the full size Genesee side. It's kind of like that man question, right? What size is yours, right? <laughs> so you turn around, and you know mine is relatively small, and uh, it's a twenty barrel system, which makes forty kegs at a time, which right. really, I mean, is huge. And and I get a lot of the home brewers that come in, and they see my micro pilot system, which makes one half barrel, uh, and they long for that twenty barrel system. Oh, what I could do with that in my garage yeah. or whatever. And then you know, it's scaling up is tough and then when you scale it up to next door uh at the main brewery and i send it over to mike mueller and his team over there and they scale it up to a thousand barrels wow it is a whole nother ball game i mean efficiencies and everything else change but so uh, things just the sheer magnitude of that is amazing yeah things do transfer over though um yes and no right yeah. i mean the first couple were really hit and miss like five years ago and and you know because efficiencies and and really uh the the equipment is different it's it's really tough to uh, exactly translate a homebrew batch to a twenty barrel, which batch. is kind of what you do, right? Which is what I do every day. And you know, over this over this time frame, we've gotten really really good at it. And then I know that you know the extraction of the mash uh, needs to be a little bit thinner next door because of that spanky new equipment that we have over there, uh, which is stellar. And they're using a mash press and they grind the, the grain completely different. And so then this is where kind of like the artist part comes in yeah. is that you realize that, you know, the, since the grind is different, you're picking up a lot more husk flavors and you're picking up a lot of different things that you have to then incorporate into the final recipe to change, to make it taste like you had it at the brew house where I don't grind as fine. And I've got a standard mash lauder. So, um, you know, it's part science, you know, mad scientist, part <laughs> chef, um, and it it really is creative and technical uh, all at the same time, and it really is a blast. Oh yeah, I mean, I have to imagine because you get to see all different angles of it, and we'll, we'll get into your background in a couple minutes, but you you get a chance to see all different aspects from your from your half barrel test system where you get to probably be the most creative. Where you oh, can yeah. try the wackiest things that you have no idea if are going to work or not. Sometimes. Oh yeah, uh, it, funny. What comes to mind is the um, the honey lilac IPA we did for uh, the lilac festival. But first, that sounds interesting. That sounds like it has a lot of opportunity. It right? does. It, yeah. I mean, I was like, that really sounded cool. Have you ever brewed with lilacs? No, I haven't. Well, and, and someone like um, someone like Jason Barrett actually has been very successful with his lilac gin over at Black Button. Absolutely, he's been really successful. So why not try? It? Love Black Button. Yep. And then you. You know, Oz from Stoneyard has yeah. has has screwed around with lilacs a little bit, but um, I thought, well, you know what? I mean, I want to brew with real lilac, and I want to get it from California out of an organic or organic grown garden, and and use real lilacs. Well, who's ever done that? Nobody. So I turned around and used that on the micro pilot system, and and played around with it for a little bit, and I I came up with something that I thought was pretty decent. Um, and then we made that for the Lilac Festival, and that was a super hit or a super miss. Um, <laughs> like yourself, everybody was like, wow, that is really interesting. That yeah. is different and cool. Bitter, but sweet, but flowery. 
and those are all hop parameters, right? If you talk about different hop parameters. And so they're like, wow, I really enjoy this. And then, of course, there was that guy that says, <laughs> this smells like my dead grandmother. Yeah. And I kind of went, oh, I never really thought of that. Well, and that thing, was an eye opener. Right. That's the other thing. He's like, and the proper answer to someone like that is, you're not wrong. It does. <laughs> it but does. you know what? A lot of people like it, too. Yeah. And it was hysterical. I mean, I got to admit, I laughed for about half an hour on that <laughs> one. And I was like, that is just, it was a take that I just did not think of. <clears throat> yeah. And so when you're coming up with these crazy fun beers, you know, it's really hard to look at every single angle that the general public is going to judge your beer on. Yeah. Um, so... I have succumbed to the, I make it the way I like to drink it. I hope you like it as well. I think that's probably the best way of doing it. Even though, I mean, your, your exposure can be larger and larger than just about anybody around when it comes to trying to be big craft. Um, But in the end, it has to be somebody's choice. It has to be somebody's vision and not everybody's vision. Yeah, absolutely. And if you start, making mass appeal beer then what it what are you right, right. then you're then you're kind of not really a, a craft thing i mean i like to make beers that are popular and um you know that people like and that's that's my job satisfaction is somebody stops me on the street and says wow <laughs> that chocolate uh stout that you made was amazing and i was like oh i'm really glad you like it that made my day and as well as people go Oh, it was too chocolatey because I learn from every nuance of somebody else's review. Yeah. And then I mentally tag those and I go, all right, 90 people said, wow, it was the best chocolate beer they ever had in their life. And only 10 people said, eh, it was too chocolatey. Well, I'm going to bring up, you know, what, what was, I think, kind of one of the coming out party beers for the pilot line, which was the salted caramel hedonist. Chocolate porter. I mean, that thing, that thing. Everybody was talking about it. It was a monster. when it came out. It was either really popular or people completely disliked it. Yep, it was definitely uh, something I, I, that was. Different. I was I was in the letter camp. It wasn't for me. It wasn't yep. built for me. Yeah, but you know what? I I talked to people that didn't talk about beer and they really wanted to try it, and they really loved it. Some people that weren't beer people loved it. That was a bridge-gapping beer into craft beer. <clears throat> 100%. And people that, that went around and said, wow, I loved that beer, and I didn't like beer before. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know beer could taste this way. And I really take that as a learning opportunity for these people. Then I turn around, and, and like we were talking when, when I came in of you know Goza or something like that, People have not tried all these beers yet, and and there is so much more beer education to do with people that um, you, you have to educate them as well as give them something uh, fun to taste. Yeah, and I think there's transition points. So that's a transition point. You're playing with something. It's sweet. It's friendly. It's really approachable. It's a dessert beer in so many ways. Well, that's, a, that's an approachable way to get into it. But maybe the next one they get to try, maybe it takes away some of that. Maybe it edges towards the classic porter you know maybe it's a little maybe it still has chocolate flavors but not chocolate per se so and that's what you know that's where you get into where you can't make multiples of those beers back to back to back yeah you know so we came out with the coffee salad and it was just exactly (laughs) as you just described right what do you think of coffee and then a stout? Well, it's a, I went to that little bit of chocolate character instead of all roasted malt. And then that kind of rounded it out a little bit and took that real dry, like red winey dryness uh, that you find in the stouts and actually smoothed it out a little bit. So people could actually 
graduate into more of a uh, of a stout um, that they normally would not have liked. Yeah, you know, everybody bases their review of stouts on Guinness or things like that, and it's a whole different ballgame. There's a ton of stouts out no, there. No, I mean Guinness is like the perfect. You don't want to drink beer, beer. For exactly. me, um, it's a perfect. It's, I want to look like I'm drinking a dark craft beer, but it's a really a light beer. Yeah, it's so it's dead smooth. It's really light, and the texture you never feel bad about drinking it. Exactly. If I'm somewhere and I need something and there's nothing I want, I'm never unhappy drinking it. But that's always a great thing to have. Always. And you know, for for a lot of people, I mean, um, Will Cleveland's a great example. Someone who talks about beer all the time. His go-to beer is Genesee most of the time. Yep. I, I love seeing that. Oh. Because, you know, one, it, maybe that's not the direction I go, but the fact that you need a break sometimes. It's not always big. It's not always big and nasty. It can be light. It can be just what it is. You know what I like, too? I like the fact that Will is confident enough to actually put it out there. I, um, I really like that. One, that kind of opened my eyes, too, because I'm... I'm a nerd first and foremost. I say that honestly and truly. I, I started drinking at 30. I never had a macro beer phase when I was younger. I so, started drinking at eight. <laughs> <laughs> but That's it's funny. like that my first drink was at 30. So it was like the first, like one of the first IPAs I had. I think I had an all day somewhere, or it was like Founders Straight IPA. One of the first IPAs I had was a Heady Topper that one of my coffee friends gave me. Wow. So it's like, that's how I dove in. Like I went to places that were beer nerd places, and they served me beer that they wanted me to taste. So when I try stuff like that, it's a completely different experience for me than somebody that grew up with it. Well, you know, that's interesting, your take on that, because your friends and your visits actually molded your beer tasting. And you really turned around and turned into this huge beer lover. Yeah. Most people I know in your exact same situation went, ooh, I don't like those. <laughs> They're too bitter. They're, you know, so you have to, you, you obviously had the beer palate. Um, and then that's again why I think your your friends kind of guided you along to that. That hey, this is what we're drinking, and this is cool. And I still think that happens a lot. And what still impresses me about being able to stand up and go, yeah, I love cream ale. Yeah, I drink cream ale when I'm done drinking craft beer. I wasn't a craft beer guy way back in the day. I was eight years old, and my favorite beer was Jenny Cream Ale. Yeah, of course. Eight. But you know, um, <laughs> growing up, I mean, I had it at my graduation. It was cream ale. It's what my grandfather drank, and I wanted to be cool like my grandfather. Yeah, you know, my I, my grandfather was my idol in 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 my days growing up, and he drank cream ale, and that was just something I had to do, and I still do today. One of my favorite beers ever, and I probably drink more cream ale than I do my own craft beer, uh, just because it's on tap at a kegerator in my house. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, it is and it's fun. And and my my beer path or my my beer journey um has been have been completely mixed and I've learned to pretty much love everything. Yeah. Well, and also I think you guys actually did a di you you did a version of cream ale this summer, right? We did. We did um a orange honey cream ale, which was just amazing. Uh took off really, really well. And uh it was a nice honor to have 
that opportunity to twist up cream ale uh, into something modernized that people would go, ooh, I want to try that. Yeah, yeah. And we released it at the Tap It Forward Festival, and it just went gangbusters. And um, then this just this past summer, we put it out in the package, and uh, it we actually sold out of it. We couldn't make enough of it. Well, isn't and, that a great thing? And yeah, and we had to move on. We had to move on to the fall beers, and uh, there was not enough time <laughs> to make another one to fulfill the rest of the summer yeah. orders. But well, it was it was really really cool. Yeah, and you brought up Tap It Forward. Um, I, I got a chance to go this year, and what a great event. Wow. I mean, Tap It Forward it was just really, really cool. It is growing leaps and bounds. And, you know, you got guys like Ben Mazo coming up from Auburn and Prison City, and you got guys from Bottomless Brewing that are coming up from, from <clears throat> Seneca Falls and Geneva. And making the trek to come up to Tap It Forward really meant a lot to me for a lot of these guys. And of course, we have the 585 Brewers crew that was, you know, already in full force and already promoting it. And of course, all that went to charity, which is nice. Um, and but we have a wonderful, wonderful community uh, in New York State of craft beer. It's just totally amazing. Well, that's I appreciate to bring up, you know, Ben in Prison City, um, someone that doesn't need to go to this. Um, he doesn't need the publicity. He doesn't need to show up to that. Absolutely not. And that's. It's a great so Tapper Forward is a New York State event. Absolutely. So it's only New York brewers. Um, and I'd say it's almost exclusively upstate. And you know, one of the rare festivals where brewers are there. Yeah, it's almost. Not, yeah, it's not a distributor bringing beer and <clears throat> they're advertising 53 brands and everything else. This is the brewer that made the beer is pouring your beer for you. Yeah. And and that, to me, makes a festival really, really cool. When, yeah, you get to try stuff from people that are changing what they do all the time. I, I think a great example is, um, you know, the guys at uh, Three Brothers. Um, their beer, now that they're doing their own beer, they're brewing it themselves, um, what a huge change! Yeah, from what they were doing before, but now now they're getting now they're getting awards. They're going out. They're trying new stuff all the time. Yep. But what a great thing! That's investment in the community. That's investment in craft beer. And you know what was really cool about them is they were really really active in the community long before they had a brewery. Yeah. Right. I mean, they were at every single bar. They came to every single <laughs> craft event and. God knows. I mean, I love Bruce Lish and Dan and all the guys and Todd and, uh, you know, and we're all really, really tight. Um, you know, Jeff, just a crazy man, you know, <laughs> and uh, it's just it's really is a, a, a great group of guys and they're just playing and having fun. And that's kind of the way it works. And really, all of this is just organic um, and nobody's really trying to outdo each other. And we're all making uh, really good stuff. Uh, we were at the hop farm um, out in Williamson. Uh, there and Bruce and I were buying hops on the same day, and we made the same beer. Yeah, uh, you know, a, it was a it was a fresh wet hop pale ale kind of thing, and uh, and his his got released like three days before mine, and but I couldn't wait. I took him a growler, and he brought me a growler, and and it was really really fun. It was just a blast. So let's talk about that for a second. So one of the things that I've heard, and you know, getting getting more involved and talking to different brewers, talking to different people, is how engaged Genesee is with the community. Well, you know what? And I guess I want to say that, you know, 
I'm not going to say I started all that. Yeah. Um, but when I got there, there was no resources <laughs> for small brewers. And you, you five years ago you got there. Yep, five years ago I got there. There was no resources, and I used to install systems for DME. So I mean, I was I was really adept at installations and new equipment and processing parameters, and it really kind of organically rolled into me stopping by and helping somebody out. Uh, and I'd stop by and and have a have a few beers and uh, help with the system and uh, you know Fairport was having issues and uh, they were putting in their malt mill long before they even opened and uh, what do we need do we need fresh air inlet we need fresh oil we need a fan and so you go over there and you help them through the approval process and um, it really is kind of fun uh, and everybody has learned not to be afraid to ask questions. So it got to the point where I was like, okay, I've done enough of this processing. I need to know what's in this beer. So I went to Joey Bustos, our lab manager, and said, Joe, can you taste this, you know, can you taste this beer as well as test this for me? Joey's on our on our brewmaster uh, panel every day at 1130 as well. And so I said, what's your take on this? And, you know, and he'd go, oh, that's interesting, da 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 yada, yada, yada. Let, let me run that through the lab. Well, we just got a really neat gas chromatograph, and we've got all the, all the tests that are in two hours. We're done. You have all your information. And then I got to share that information with all these brewers. And then it got to be the point where I was like, well, why don't you just bring your samples to Joey and talk to Joey directly? I don't have time to deal with all this stuff most of the time. <laughs> I'm busy brewing like everybody else. And yeah. so all of a sudden, Joe, Joe took those reins and was like, all right, great. We're opening up the lab. And then he took it even further, and he said, we're opening up our taste panel training. So we have off-flavor training where we taste diacetyl and we taste acetaldehyde and we taste all these cool off-flavors uh, with, with Maria, who sets it up in the lab. And then these brewers are coming to this now and learning what all these off-flavors are. So now they are self-analyzing their beer. Oh, my God, I got acetaldehyde in there. You know, I get that green apple character, and that's not what I wanted. I, now I know where it comes from. And so... Like I said before, all this was not available for any type of brewer. You learned on your own. You got a book. Everybody started with Charlie Papazian's Joy of Home Brewing, and <laughs> that was how that's how everybody learned how to brew, right? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what there was. I was lucky enough to go to the Siebel Institute of Brewing Technology in Chicago, graduated way back um, in 1990, long before brewing was cool. 34 breweries in the nation at the time, and now there's 7,500. Wait, 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 34? 34 breweries in the nation in 1990. I, it's it's almost hard to fathom yeah. considering every town in our county now has a craft brewery. Multiple craft yeah. breweries. It's crazy. Um, but that, you know, brewing was not the in thing then, right? I mean, it just, it wasn't like I grew up going, oh my God, I want to be a brewmaster. You know, it's crazy. But um, there was no opportunity to learn unless you had to go to school. Cal Davis, right? Fermentation course, right. Master, master Brewers in Wisconsin, or Siebel. That was it. Right. And Cal Davis, I mean, that's probably an offshoot of their um, huge wine program wine, out there. And, and basically, it was a fermentation degree, right? You right, got right. into fermentation and sugar processing and things like that, which was cool. It wasn't really fully geared to beer at that point in time, but right. um, it, it turned into f you know fully geared to beer, which was cool. And and that's a nice premier school to go to. E any one of those schools you go to are great, and you learn a ton. But none of that was available when I went through. So I thought, you know what? Support your community. Walk the walk, right? I wouldn't say I stop at breweries, and, and you know it's no longer just stopping at a brewery and buying a beer. <laughs> stopping at a brewery and going, hey, what do you need? Bruce and I swap ingredients all the time. <laughs> Dude, I ran out of this hop. Do you have any of this? And he goes, oh, yeah, I've got some of that. 
called me the other day. He says, oh, dude, I ran out of Munich 10. My, my, my truck got delayed. It broke down. Can I borrow six bags? Sure. Come on over. Yeah. We're, we're, we're loaning ingredients back and forth. And, um, you know, to buy these hops, you know, Mandarina, Bavaria, Bruce had to buy, uh, you know, three, 400 pounds. He couldn't use all 304 pounds. I said in the 20 barrel system, hell, I said, I'll take, you know, two 44 pound boxes. So there it is. Turn around and I bought it. And he says, well, I said, you want paid? No, no, just pay me a malt later. Next time I borrow it. Oh, okay. <laughs> You know, so it, it really is a, a, a great community, and um, I think that is missing in the rest of the country. And I think what we have here is something incredibly special in Rochester. Um, the 585 guys are tight. Everybody around is tight, and even beyond. So, I mean, let, let, so the 585 guys, why don't you talk about that for a second? Because I know you guys did a collaboration beer this summer, and I think you had done it before, correct? Yeah, it was it was actually last summer that we did the 585 Brewers Collaboration, and we released that beer um, at the uh, Flower City Beer Fest, uh, okay, John yeah, Erlib yeah. and Rohrbach's Fest, yeah, yeah. Uh, at the uh, public market, and that was an absolute blast. And I like to laugh about that, because I had 25 bosses for the day, <laughs> right? And I said, okay, look, it's going to be a lager. That's my expertise, right? German brewing and lagering. I said, that's me. I said, I will operate the system, but you guys design the recipe and i said all you guys 20 guys i don't care what's in it you guys design it and and we'll brew it and so that's what i did i was the operation and i mean you know halfway through the mash let's add hops halfway through the mash <laughs> more grain i was but we're already halfway through the mash so what you know and, and it really was like a a really crafty kind of fun time and yeah. um and they they all loved it, and they said, "Wow, I'm bossing Dean Jones around. This is fun." And and you know, <laughs> Oz was the Oz was the biggest culprit from Stoneyard, but um, you know, and it was really neat. Change the recipe on the fly, go back, hurry up, do some quick calculations, you know. And we fooled around with 35 IBU, 55 IBU, 75. That was too much, and so there I was, you know, hand free in calculations uh, on the desk, going, <laughs> "All right, you guys, slow down. We can't change the BU every five seconds." But um, you know, it was fun, and and we really had a blast. And again, all that was donated to charity. And, you know, I didn't start the 585 group. Um, you know, Chris Spinelli, uh, they were already meeting. And that's and, over at Rock Brewing. Yeah, over at Rock Brewing. We were already really meeting together as a group, and we just kind of finalized it. And uh, Spinelli likes to laugh because he thinks he got to be the president and the secretary because he's the only one with a pencil at the time <laughs> when we were there. And uh, and so we got to hang out, and, uh, and really just, you know, Genesee said, look, We'll pay to have the logo designed. We'll we'll trademark the logo so we have it, and everybody in the group is free to use it at any point in time that they want to. Yeah, um, and and really nice. And you don't see that anywhere else. No, I th I think so. Part of the reason why I brought it up is because I find it when you said the word unique, based on all the national conversations going on about macro breweries and for all intents and purposes genesee is a macro brewery north american brewing is the sixth sixth largest brewery in the country yep, sixth um as an amalgamation of all the different brands that live underneath it that's huge and for all the conversation that's going on nationally about all the all the harm that some of the larger macro breweries are doing with purchasing of craft brands and damaging local brewing scenes um to hear to talk to multiple local brewers you know from from knucklehead to rock to uh all these different local brewers and the only thing that you hear is collaboration and everybody's benefiting um to to, to hear about that i mean i've it, you hear it for a while but then to talk to the people who are actually doing it you don't have to do that 
No, absolutely like JC not. Like, doesn't have to do that. No, there's yeah, they no They could way. just push everybody around. We we spend a ton of money on lab tests. I mean, it's expensive, yeah. right? I mean, you know, we got a, a three-quarters of a million-dollar gas chromatograph that you'd have to pay about <clears throat> $600 to get a test from. And it's just scot-free for these guys. Yeah. And you know what? They appreciate it. Um, when... Swiftwater opened. Um, Andy came over and said, I could not have opened the doors without you guys. And I mean that absolutely sincerely. That touched my heart. And to, to realize that you helped somebody follow their dream. Andy, great brewer already, great home brewer, resourceful. He did that whole entire place himself. He'd walk out of work covered in grime and dirt <laughs> and paint and drywall dust, and he'd come over to the brewery to have a taste flight bar. Yeah, and you know, and I just said he'd belly up to the bar. I'm like, buy that guy a taster, you know. And he'd sit down and he'd go through four, and he'd go up and he'd have a pint and he'd get something to eat, you know. And this might have been seven o'clock at night after he's been there since six in the morning trying to open that place, and to have that said to you. Um, and then passed on, and he said it to multiple people. He said it to Joey Bustos and um, everybody that has helped him from Genesee multiple times. Uh, was was really just, I mean, heart wrenching. It's like, wow, I have I have helped make a difference in our Rochester beer scene. Yeah, and to me, that's just as cool as could be. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the Rochester specific beer scene for a minute. Um, one, it's hard to keep up with. It's ever changing incredibly quickly. Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier on, I mean, I, I follow Will Cleveland, all the writing he does. I, 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 for a while, I was able to, I was visited just about everywhere. I think I was caught up. And now I'm not even close. Um, the expansion's been rapid. And like I said, every town, almost every town has a brewery now, at least one. Oh, yeah. And um, I don't know if you get a chance to taste. I mean, you get people bringing you stuff. Yeah, and thank God because I, I don't get out much, right? They don't, uh, you know, don't feed the brewmaster, leave him in his cage, and um, <laughs> it's really, uh, it's really interesting because they are really opening much faster than I can go visit. Oh yeah, um, I live in Avon, so you know, I, I, I'm heading out of the city, and um, when I when I leave at night, and and it's tough to go visit every single brewery. I've got a 16 year old daughter at home; she's busy with everything from soccer to piano to flute to you know, chorus and everything else. Other than that, no big deal. Other than that, no big deal. Um, <laughs> and oh, and karate. And oh, so, yeah, oh, yeah, throw and that karate. On top. Yep. So it's uh, it's 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 crazy to keep up with that. And and I don't get out as much as I'd really like to. Um, but thank God, I mean, like people bring me beer. Will Cleveland brings me beer. Hey, I was just at uh, you know. Uh, uh, Irish mafia and you know I had this beer and I was like okay cool and you know that's down there and it, it's just you know I wouldn't be able to get to some of those places uh and have that beer and uh, a lot of these guys that you know are new they're afraid to to come into Genesee and say hey I need some help <laughs> or whatever and and but we've always included everybody and everybody is welcome and um you know they are so proud and so passionate um, of their beer, which is just great. And the Rochester beer scene is going to blow Portland's beer scene away at some point, and that is happening. Rochester will be a beer destination city, and it's already there. We are getting well-known for our beers we're producing. Um, a couple of the latest articles out was just you know how Rochester was rated the 10th best beer city in the nation already. So we're, 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 we're doing it, and we're proud of it. You See, know? I, I find it interesting because, you know, it's – 
it's easy to go to any individual place or you go to five places, go to 10 places. You can, there's, it's a young scene in a lot of ways. I mean, the craft scene is young with the farm, farm brewing and everything else. There's a lot of new, and there's a lot of mistakes that happen when there's things that are new. Um, and it's, it's easy when you say, hey, I know this one amazing beer from this place. You can go to Portland, Maine, right? Portland, Maine's a great example. Um, you can go there, and I can go to three places that I know I'm going to get hit after hit after hit. But these places have been around for how long? Absolutely. And they've had a name for how long? They've had investment for how long? Um, sometimes it's easy to get mired in the details of, well, oh, maybe this place is only making 50% stuff I really want to drink right now. Well, you know what? There's a lot of opportunity there, too. I, I Sometimes I struggle because I'm like, oh, I don't go out that much. And when I go, I really want to enjoy what I get. But I, I like that perspective that you just brought, is that there's so much opportunity here right now. Absolutely. And a lot of people that care. Yeah, and there's stuff that you know you might not drink, but you might drink because you're there. Yeah. You know what? And who can't, who can't muscle their way through a flight? Yeah. Right? Of six or eight beers that you get, and you're going to try something that's going to go, ooh, wow. You know what blew me away? Uh, Swiftwater had a coffee blonde. And you think, coffee blonde? <laughs> I was like, I said, you got no color in that. I said, that's interesting. And, you know, and he was like, and I learned something. He was like, oh, yeah, I just took the whole coffee beans and recirculated the beer through it to just get the aroma and no color. I was like, that's ingenious. And he goes, happened by an accident. <laughs> but, you know, but it's cool. And what you learn from that is that, hey, you can do that. And then there's... 50 places to add coffee in the brewing process. Yeah. And you may not like coffee beers, but you may like the aroma of coffee. Oh, I'm... And then you get it in a blonde, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, wait a minute. I didn't even like coffee beer, and now I have a blonde coffee beer that I love. Yeah, I'm thrilled about coffee as an ingredient. Um, you know, I'm really excited about what the, the guys over at Fifth Frame are going to end up doing. I mean, with John Mervine over there and... The high end roasting that they're doing. We were just in there getting coffee this morning. Were you? Oh yeah. What's well, so close to the brewery? Yeah, and a great, great new yeah. location. Yeah. Also, a great, what a, another great addition to the neighborhood uh, on St. Paul, kind of revitalizing that area. I think a little bit uh, between what you guys are doing up there, them going in over there. So it's just new stuff popping up in that neighborhood. Absolutely. Where I think it needed that. It needed that pop of something. Yep. And you know, that's where we have focused our efforts, even with the tap it forward day that we had where we closed the brewery, sent out 350 workers into the city. And that was in our area. That was in our St. Paul corridor neighborhood where we beautified the parks and we added bushes and we cleaned up trees and removed garbage. And because why we're proud of our neighborhood. Some people call our neighborhood the hood, right? It's just the hood. Well, guess what? That's our hood. Yeah. And everybody, I am not afraid to walk around in our neighborhood. Uh, and everybody is friendly and everybody is kind and thoughtful. And, uh, hey, how's it going today? And they're waving at you and talking to you. And we really have a neighborhood. Um, and, and we're very, very proud to be in that area. And we've been in that area a long time. And I think that that pride is catchy. And you, when you see people like Fifth Frame go, you know what? That area is really up and coming. And we're going to set roots down in there, and we're going to help revitalize that area. Uh, it's just amazing. Yeah, and I, 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 you know, I'm excited because they're doing something different. You know, they're doing something that's, you know, it, there's a lot of breweries opening up, and I'm sure there's going to be some that stand out just from straight quality, or they have some note they really want to hit. 
Well, they're doing something nobody else is doing here right now. And they have birthday cake. <laughs> they do have birthday cake. <laughs> and they've, they've got personality. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's hysterical. I was, I was laughing. I said, and they have birthday cake. I was uh-huh. like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're going to take a quick break. And uh, we're going to be back and talk a little bit about Dean's background a little bit more and uh, some of the holiday-specific stuff that uh, Genesee's doing. So we'll be right back. During this quick break, I just wanted to throw a shout-out to the whole Joe Bean Coffee crew. Had a great time at their Gesha tasting last weekend. And they've got an amazing slate of holiday coffees coming up. So if you're thinking about getting some coffee equipment for the people in your life, or just want to upgrade your own, stop into Joe Bean for some top-notch equipment and some of the best coffee around. All right, and we're back. So before we dive in, we're 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 gonna go on a little bit of a coffee tangent, which we're no which I'm known to do. But before we do that, I want to put out the first plug for the upcoming holiday events for Tennessee. Right. And that's this, coming up coming up this week, right? Yep. Friday. The big one. De- Friday, December 1st, we are having a world-famous keg tree lighting. And we designed a keg tree out of kegs. Um, Mike Gazer was the brainchild behind that. And we have uh, the keg tree uh, Christmas tree that is outside in the beer garden that went all the way out to uh, to New York City and made uh, – made, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, the Today Show and uh, USA Today and nationwide and and all kind of stuff. So it's Friday, this Friday from five to seven. Uh, the tree lighting will actually happen right at six p.m. It is completely free for people to come out to attend. We have food available for purchase, um, and it is really is a blast. The food that's going to come out is the chefs have made some uh, beer-infused food, food uh, like their five-alarm chili, and uh, they're doing some beef kebabs that are marinated in beer, and right. just all kind of fun stuff um, from, from our kitchen, and our chef, John LaRocca, uh, really does a nice job with that. So, uh, again, uh, something that you can't miss, and I am releasing... Uh, a Scotch ale that has been aged in Woodford Reserve barrels. Um, I saw it. It's got to be kind of exciting. Well, and it's neat because the barrels were previously the Imperial Black IPA barrels. Oh, nice. So this is a second-use barrel that's been in there for uh, over a year now, uh, and I can't wait to try that and uh, put that in a keg. But we're only going to release about 10 barrels of it, so um, it will fly fast. So come get it on Friday while you can. And it's only going to probably be at the brew house, right? Oh, yeah, only at the brew house. Yep, That's absolutely. Awesome. So um, really, really, really fun event. Um, I've done every single one that we've had, and um, just an absolute riot. And that event has grown so much over the last few years. And what a, what a great thing to have a new, basically, community um, community event that every, a lot of people look forward to every year. Yeah, people were coming by today, as a matter of fact. Um, they started putting together the keg tree this morning, and people were out taking pictures, and we, we've done a time-lapse video of it going together. And uh, when I was coming over here, actually, people were standing out there taking selfies in front of the keg tree. <laughs> Doesn't even have the lights or the neon on and on top yet, but they're, they're really excited about it, and that's awesome to see is that Rochesterians are getting behind Genesee, supporting us in what we're doing, and it really has turned into... To, uh, a, a must attend event for for Rochester, which is really cool. And what another great another community thing that you really don't need to do, but I mean, I know there's another great way to engage with the community and for people to go out and just have a good time. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's a lot of work. I mean, you think about it, you know, 500 kegs and, uh, and they're, they're not light, you know, 40, <laughs> 40 pounds of kegs and you're stacking them up there and, uh, and, and it's fun. And really, uh, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that Genesee is, um, and I like to like quote, like an old school kind of quote is good times for all times. Right. I mean, <laughs> and that's what you, that's what Genesee is, is, is it's a beer for every occasion, whether it be the, the craft beer we're putting out or the cream ale or the beer, or the light or, you know, whatever. And it's just, that's what Genesee does. Yeah. And that's what I would expect out of our brewery. So why not? Yeah. Super cool. So we'll probably do another plug for that at the end and, uh, other winter things coming up. But what we were talking about during the break is I was learning that Dean is a serious coffee nerd like me. I am nerdy, just stuck up, snobby about coffee. Oh, I love it. I, I love meeting other coffee snobs because it's the kind of thing like, like I know there's some people like I don't even drink coffee every day because I don't, I don't, I know I don't have the time to make it in the morning. I don't drink coffee. I only drink coffee when it's good. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's annoying <laughs> to oh, I, people. And, and I love to French press my coffee, and, and it's just, you know, that's just my standard everyday drinking coffee. Yeah, you like the French press part? Oh, yeah. French yeah, press style? I love it. I do, I've do. i done everything. I've done, you know, I've done everything. I've done the pour over, and sure, I've done sure. the French press. I've, I've done everything. It really, it really makes a difference. And you learn that there is a crap ton of stuff to learn about coffee. Oh. Coffee beans are not just coffee beans. They're not all the same. There's all these different cool origins, and they have all these cool aromas and all these cool flavors that you get to play with. And, you know, I got so hooked on coffee, I bought a one-pound Alpen Roast Lab Roaster, <laughs> and I bought all my green beans from Sweet Maria's and got all my starting information from there. Um, and I roasted my own coffee for years and got stuck on this Jones blend, I call it. Uh, and then recently, like I just was telling you, I ripped up the recipe and said, nope, I'm starting over. Because why? There is still now more coffee beans to play with. It's amazing. And it is really, really cool. And you get to blend all these aromatics and all these flavors. And some are sweet and earthy and some are chocolate tones. And you can really, it, it's like a never-ending plethora of flavors that you can mix and match and blend and people are really doing shops are doing some really cool stuff with coffee it's fun oh yeah well i think the part that really drove me into and that was the first thing i got nerdy about when it came to beverages was coffee um because i i didn't drink alcohol at the time so i got i got nerdy about coffee um and i think the fascinating part about it is how fast it's changing and i've you can make that analogy with with beer with wine, with spirits, how fast things change and how different coffee was, even from when I started drinking it till now, um, how drastically different the roast profiles are. Oh, yeah. Um, you can see it in craft beer, too. The trends move super fast, um, and you see the trends in coffee changing all the time. Yep, and it, it's kind of like what you said earlier was, you know, you notice that um, things change, and you're really going for quality and experience over quantity. Yeah. You know, back when I was in the Marines, I used to drink that nasty drip coffee. And <laughs> the sergeant, I used to make coffee, you know, in the morning we'd pour and pour a pot. And there'd be like a quarter of a pot left. And and he'd go, Jones, go make some coffee. I'm like, yes, sergeant. So we go over there and make some coffee. Don't dump that out. Leave the old coffee in there because it added flavor, right? And I can't believe that I used to drink that garbage. And, you know, I would stop at 7-Eleven and get a cup of coffee. How embarrassing is that? And, you know, and you turn around and then once you turn that corner um, and you turn into that coffee aficionado, um, 
that whole world opens up to you, and it is amazing. And it's and it's another thing that Rochester, I think, um, has a great claim to fame for is our specialty coffee scene is really strong for the size of our city. Absolutely, and you know what? Everybody has one of those little specialty cups. And how many you know how many Starbucks cups do you see running around? Yeah, not, not a whole lot, right? You see in local coffee, we're supporting local, just like we do beer, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, well, it's that's a great thing too, and you get to mess around with coffee too. Um, and I saw, you know, somewhere like uh, Three Heads, they just, they're using Fuego in their coffee they got a yep. chance to do. Yep. What a great thing. Uh, and we were talking about Fifth Frame right before. They're going to be roasting beer, roasting coffee for the beer. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really excited about the possibilities that are out there um, for those people that want it, for those people that want to try different things. It's going to be really, really interesting to see what they can come up with. I mean, you know, like we were talking about Andy at Swiftwater with the coffee and just the aroma in the yeah. beer. Um, you know, and it's and it really is. It's endless, and I like to tease all you kids, you know, because <laughs> I I am the old man in this scene, right? I mean, I'm in my fifties, and all you guys are in your twenties and thirties, um, and and it's really really cool. It keeps me young, and and I get excited because you guys are excited, you know, and that's what that's what keeps me going. Is I'm excited about coffee. Then I meet somebody like you, and I'm like, oh, cool. I'm not so weird after all, right? Yeah. I, you know, uh, my assistant Ryan Brady is another coffee geek. He just loves coffee and, uh, you know, just straight black, no additives, no oh. cream, no sugar, just sits there and just savors his cup and holds it like it's he's holding his child. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not enemies of coffee. We're not enemies of quality here. No. Come on now. Yep. It's just, it's, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, it's really is cool and, it, and it's, it is fun. And uh, there is a ton to learn about coffee oh. that, that most people know nothing about. Well, and that's the thing. I'm, I always feel like I don't know enough. Um, you know, I, I go and I talk to the people who are dedicated that they're they're the head roasters, they're the owners. Um, I never feel like I know enough. And I think that's one of my favorite and least favorite things about myself is I never feel like I know enough. I never feel like I'm an expert. I never feel comfortable. So you're a perfectionist like I am. Oh, it's God, it's annoying. Well, you know what was cool is I realized now, I mean, here I am, I'm in my early 50s, and I realized that that's okay. And I'm kind of cool with it because why? I can still learn. You can teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah. And I went down to Evening Star Roasters. We did a, their fire and ice espresso blend in a coffee beer that we made at the brew house. Okay. Uh, and went out to our Tap It Forward. And that is some of the most fabulous coffee I've had. Um, was down there in, in Avon. Um, and they they produce a lot of cool stuff. They've done coffee for the fallen uh, police officers in Rochester and things like that. They are really, really active in the community, even though they're in Avon. I live in Avon. Um, and But uh, it's amazing what I've learned with coffee down there. We went down there, watched them roast, and you know it really is the science uh, and the art part of, of coffee and looking at temperatures and exhaust temperatures and bean temperatures and how they all affect. And then the different beans have come different uh, flavors and aromas. It's really, really cool. Yeah. It's just like anything. You can bring timing. You can bring as nerdy as you want to get. And every but, little change affects it. But I bet that's the same thing for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Every little change affects the final product. And uh, it really, really is kind of cool. Yeah. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm getting thirsty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, I think it's time. You ready? Oh, oh yeah. that was a good one. Oh, that so was nice. This is out of my private stock, so you know that I love your blog because uh, <laughs> I brought my own personal beer. Well, uh, I appreciate to that this event, and it is the Reiske and Spies Bourbon Barrel Old Ale, which is long gone in the store. 
Yeah, I can't, they kind of came out quick and hit hard. And Well, you know what? That was the first beer that we actually canned inside the Pilot Brewery. We brought Is in, it really? Yes, we brought in the micro canners um, and the ones that, that can it rock, uh, and we did 330 cases, and it was gone in two weeks. Wow. So um, we did uh, a, f- a few uh, you know, halves of draft, and, uh, but anyway, so this is, this is one, of these great, one of these great beers that I love. And it's got that huge bourbon vanilla. Yeah, no, no you know, getting away from it. No, there's no getting away from it. Ten point five percent. And um, here I'm going to give you the can so you can finish the rest of that. Uh, an absolute beautiful beer. One of my absolute favorite beers that I'm most proud of. This was a, a really, really great beer. Well, um, and this this isn't this isn't what you'd call this isn't your subtle. This is this is big. It's it's bourbony on the taste. It's bourbony on the nose. It's got a it's got enough sweetness. It's not overkill. That's the thing. Sometimes you, if you don't drink a lot of, if you don't drink these kind of beers often, you're like, oh, wow, it's a bit bracing the first time you take a sip. But it's one you want to sit with. Like, we let this one warm up a little bit. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. a lot of these things are better as they warm up. Oh, you know what? I, beer at cellar temperature, you know, into that 45 to 48 degrees, I love it. Mm. Um, little story. So I was in um, the UK. I was installing a pub for DME uh, in Manchester, England called The Mash. And, you know, UK food was new to me then, and I wanted an orange for breakfast, right? I got their bacon and eggs, which is really a slice of ham and some eggs, right? And, uh, and I was just, I wanted a piece of fruit. So I said, oh, could I have an orange? And she said, sure. So she brought an orange and set on the table, and I picked it up, and it was warm. And I said, do you have one that was in the fridge? And she looked at me, and she goes, why? And I said, well, I like my fruit cold. And she said to me, you can't taste the fruit if it's cold. <laughs> and I said, and she goes, you're from America. And I said, um, yeah, I am. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, and that, was my, that was my thing. And then as I got over there and I realized, okay, they wanted American beer in this pub and that's fine. But I started looking at real ale and I started looking at cellar temperature ale and tasting, you know, Boddington's and things like that that were cold. And then going back to this real ale going, wait. I like this at 45 degrees. I like this at, at 48 degrees. Um, and it really brings out the flavor and the aroma, and it, it's smoother. Cold actually numbs your taste buds to where you can't taste anymore, as does carbonation. Yeah. So the Hefeweizens that you get that are so, so super carbonated are numbing on the taste buds. It makes it more refreshing at the time for summer. Great. But you don't really taste the beer. Um, but in a beer like this, in the nice bourbon barrel at ten percent, it's a sipper. It's a it's a really super high quality beer that you could sit and enjoy and really have a nice time with. Well, because I'm learning that learning the same thing. It's I, there's a interesting angle to take on it. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm learning the same thing with wine. Um, when I taste it, you know, people chill whites to within an inch of their lives. They'll bring them down right to right close to freezing temperature, and you drink it and you're missing. You're missing a lot of that stuff. You're missing the subtleties, um, and especially when you're diving into things that are more complex, things that are offering a lot. I mean, this this beer's super fruity. There's oh, yeah. a lot of fruit going on in it. Probably no fruit in it, but there's a lot of fruit going on in it. Yep. And it's that kind of thing where you, if you drink it really cold, you're going to miss it. You're going to get bourbon and not much else. Yeah, yeah. you're going to get the vanillins from the bourbon barrel. You're going to get the caramel from the old ale. You're going to get stuff like that, but you're going to miss all the rest of the picture. So you might get 80% of the beer, 
but 20% you're going to miss. Would you want 80% of your paycheck? No. Heck no, you want all of it. So, and that's the way I look at it with beer. It's like, don't cut corners. You know, if it's supposed to be cold, serve it cold. But guess what? If it's not supposed to be cold or supposed to be at cellar temperature, let it warm up a little bit yeah. and enjoy that flavor and, and go out on a limb. Challenge <laughs> yourself to learn more about beer and go out on a limb and enjoy it the way um, it, it's be- it tastes best. Well, I think that's the other thing is sometimes you have to ask that question. Sometimes you have to just try it. Sometimes you just just do it. Just but, try, see how it tastes to you. Maybe you like it colder. Great. Enjoy it colder. But if you don't try it, what the hell do you know? I mean, you, you got to try it. Right. Reminds me of your parents yelling at you. You got to try this broccoli. I used to hate broccoli. Oh, now I'm now I'm roasting broccoli with, oh. you know, garlic powder and onion powder and olive oil and sage and red pepper flakes oh, and going, "Oh my awesome. god, I love broccoli," you know. It's the best. Yeah. I mean, broccoli and Brussels sprouts. Oh, Brussels sprouts. Oh. Killer. So love good. Them. Yeah, so good. But as a kid, I wouldn't I wouldn't try it. I refused it. No. But th- but think of think of the think of the complexities that you're getting out of it. You like it's the bitter, it's the dark, it's the uh, sulfury, it's all these complex flavors yep. that come out with these dark roasts um, and all that stuff that I adore now. I mean, give me a bitter cocktail any day of the week. Oh yeah, for I want to sure. drink Campari. I want to drink Chinar. I want to drink stuff like that. I want the weird. I want the complex. Um, you know what? I didn't know what the hell Thai food was when I got to college. And I, I didn't I, either. I knew what Americanized Chinese food was. A General Tso's chicken. Yeah, I knew all about General Tso's <laughs> chicken. I knew all about, you know, pizza and this, but, you yeah. know, buffalo pizza. I knew buffalo pizza. Yeah, for sure. And what, what changes? Everything changes. Yeah. It's that sense of experience. It's that sense of everything else where you get a chance to learn about something. You learn about a culture. You got to go over and try that. Where they've been serving beer seriously for a long time. Yep. That's a big part of the culture. Huge part of the culture. And over there, I mean, our, our pubs are slowly getting to that point where you have your neighborhood pub, right? And everybody goes in there. I mean, everybody comes in. There's there's that loyal crowd that comes into Genesee every day at 4.30 after work and has a flight. And, you know, hey, Jim, how you doing? See you later. You know, have a great day. Have a great weekend. Have a nice Thanksgiving, whatever. And, you know... Every one of the pubs has pretty much the same thing. Uh, they have a nice, regular neighborhood crowd. And then you get the people that are venturing out and trying stuff new for the first time. And it's nice to see that. And I don't think we had that 10 years ago. No. You know, people were afraid to go out. And they were, you know, change is, is, is uncomfortable and difficult. And um, they were used to going to their corner bar. And they felt like they were cheating on their corner bar or their, or their <laughs> corner brewery. Well, now there's so many breweries to go to. It's just damn fun. It is. You know, and I'm thinking this is what people do. I mean, wow, this is a blast. Yeah. And, you know, we have enough now for our beer trail and, you know, the wine trail around Seneca Lake and all the breweries that are down there, Two Goats and Seneca Lodge and all these guys that are just kicking butt down there, um, really having a great time. And and it's just a, a great beer era to live in. Yeah. So, like I say, I, I don't think there's a I don't think there's a uh, a beer bubble or a craft beer bubble that's happening anytime soon. Uh, anywhere because there is just so much cool stuff going on and people are interested in it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always going to be turnover. Things are going to fail. But you know what? There's something for everybody more than there ever has been. Absolutely. Um, Totally agree. And for somebody to, like, we were talking to my wife before this, you know, she she grew up when she she was drinking beer. She likes Blue Light. She likes Yingling. 
Um, and sure, I'm a, I'm a snob. I push her to a lot of different things that maybe she hasn't tried before. But you know what? There should be something for everybody. And now I know you you guys made a was a pilsner this last year in the at the brew house, right? Yes. So I made a true Which German I heard a, pilsner. I heard a lot of great things about it. I did get a chance to try it. It was great. Awesome. But I mean, I heard a ton about it because it seemed like a beer made for beer nerds. Yeah, and it was. I mean, you know, and you know what? That that satisfaction of making that beer, was it the most popular beer in the world to make? Absolutely not, right? Like yourself, everybody's like, oh, Pilsner. Uh, well, you know, is that American Pilsner? Is it German Pilsner? And even if you tell them, this is a northern German Pilsner, you know, with 45 IBUs. It's super smooth and got this wonderful, you know, Weirman Pilsner malt that I worked so hard in the mash, and it took me three hours and uh, to make that beer. And the brewers came over at the Flower City Beer Fest and go and gaga. Yeah. And they went, oh, my God, that is the best Pilsner I have ever had lately. And that makes my day. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good, isn't it? You know, and I never get over- overly cocky. Why? Because I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> I picked every little subtle thing I could out of that beer and went, I'm going to make that again. And everybody else was going, wow, this is so good. And, you know, I'm really a technical brewer. Um, you know, I, I like to tease myself that I am not the most creative guy in the world. And I'm not coming up and putting ham in my beer like Oz in, in, in Stoneyard <laughs> and, you know, working with McCann's Meats and doing all this crazy stuff. And I'm a regular beer guy. I'm a true German beer guy because, you know, I am old and I am old school. I've been doing this a long time, 26 years. And, you know, um, so there was no beer styles to to really change or, or anything else like that. And it's really all this nice, young, inventive crowd that has done all these wonderful things with beers uh, that have made it so interesting lately. And it's really, really a great time to be in beer. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, let's, I'm, I'm going to finish off. I, I want to learn a little bit more about you. Um, so you said 26 years in beer. What was the first thing you did in beer? And what, what broke you into the whole thing? Well, I was in the Marine Corps, right? Got out of high school, went right into the Marines, June, July, and August, Paris Island, South Carolina. Dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> you know, I maybe I should have waited till September, October, November, when it wasn't 105 degrees every day. In South Carolina, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Goose Creek, you know, or, or, uh, that's where I got stationed anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, down in, uh, in Paris Island, it was hot. And, but I survived right three months of boot camp, and uh, parents came down and picked me up. And um, I thought, wow, that was just absolutely crazy. And, and that, that changed me a lot. I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to go, you know, right into school, right out of high school. I wasn't ready for that. I really was done with college and uh, kind of like, I don't want to go to college. And my mom's like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I don't really know, you know. And I said, well, maybe eventually I want to go to college. And, um, my dad said something, something to me and he goes, well, just don't do something stupid. Like go join the Marine. <laughs> and I went, wait a minute, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to really, I'm going to go join the Marines. <laughs> that was a great idea. And, uh, so off I, I went, that. yeah, right out of high school. And I, and I was like, that was just cool. And, uh, you know, I worked in the grocery store and I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania. I mean, what was there to do in Erie? You know, Besiris, Erie was pulling out with the cranes and Erie Bearing was pulling out. And it was becoming like, you know, the Pittsburgh of, of the northern Pennsylvania where yeah, all the industry was kind of pulling out. and Small, um, s- small, uh, small Rust Belt City. Yeah. Yeah. yeah small Rust classic Belt City. Story. Exactly. Yep. Classic story. I mean, you know, and then GE with the trains is still there, but they were laying people off left and right. And I didn't feel there was anything for me there and I needed to change. And I didn't think school was going to do that for me. 
So anyway, off to the Marines uh, and became um, a rifleman, right? Standard grunt, 0311, ground pounder, hoorah. <laughs> and um, graduated and, and got stationed um, back in South Carolina, believe it or not, um, at the Naval Weapons Station. Uh, and I was stationed on the USS Holland AS-32, which is a nuclear weapons subtender. Wow. And uh, yep, that's where I met my first wife. Um, and uh, she was in the Navy. She was stationed on the ship. I love that there were women on the ship. And um, <laughs> so, but anyway, we got married and I had a son. And uh, we she got stationed in Penn State uh, University. She got stationed as a recruiter at State College. So we lived in Belfont. And I thought, well, while I'm here and I'm out of the core, uh, I'll go get a job. So where did I work? The gun store, right? Coming oh, out well, of the obviously. Marine Corps. Yeah, the gun store, obviously. And um, so it, it was interesting because I thought, well, while I'm here, I'm going to use my VEEP, my Veterans Educational Assistance Program, and I'm going to go to Penn State while I'm here. One, so, a, one, a great program. Yes. Um, some of my friends have taken full advantage of it, and I always love to see it if there's an opportunity in front of you Yep. and you've got that chance. I mean, I love to hear that people take advantage of that program to oh. its fullest. It was like two for one. Every oh. dollar you put in, they put in two, and Amazing. then you can get other loans and help, which was nice. Um, but anyway, so downtown, right, I'm, I'm a tiny little petite guy, and I don't like to eat a whole lot or drink a whole lot of beer. And uh, there was wood-fired pizza. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> there was wood-fired pizza at the Happy Valley Brewing Company, and they had this Ooh. huge wood-fired oven. And I went for the pizza and got hooked on the beer. And that was where I had one of my first tastes of Scotch Ale. And I was like, wow, this is just amazing. It goes really well with this pizza. And I was like, I, I, I got to make this or I got to buy this or something. Well, there was no growlers then. There was no crowlers <laughs> then. You had to get it by the glass. So I'd get down there and get freaking hammered, you know, on Scotch <laughs> Ale. And I was like, that was great. And bring home a pizza. And so finally... Um, working at the gun store, I kept selling this guy 45 caliber ammo and, and we got to talking, we got to talking. And then one day I said, Hey, where do you work? And he goes, Oh, I work downtown at the brewery. And I said, you do not. And I said, I love that Scotch ale with the pizza. He goes, Oh, you're a beer lover. He goes, yeah, interesting. He goes, well, you should come down and visit. Well, come down and visit turned into I'm now his apprentice. I quit the gun store um, and and really just fell into it. And we hit it off. We were shooting guns every weekend. And uh, he was a Thompson submachine gun collector, an anti Thompson. No yeah. That's a, that one. That's a weird thing to collect. Weird, really weird, yeah. but really cool. Of course. And I didn't know there was so many subcategories of Thompsons and different makes and models and things like that. But uh, that's what he collected. And so we would go out and shoot Thompsons on the weekend. And he shot them. He just didn't collect them. He shot them. Mm. But you know, when you're going through a thousand rounds of 45 ammo in you know in about <laughs> ten minutes, it, you know it, it adds up. But yeah, it's a, that's a um, serious hobby. Yeah, it's a serious hobby. And uh, you had to have a full auto collector's license. But anyway, we had a blast. Uh, and really, this guy's name was Ed Collins, and he had really nurtured my love of beer. And to to fall into that was amazing. And uh, you know, I got to love beer. And he said, "Well, why don't you quit college and go to the Siebel Institute of Brewing Technology? There is a course in September." And I was like, "Really?" I said, "What's it? What's it take to do this?" And I got all excited. <laughs> and uh, he goes, "Well, let's just apply because you won't get in your first year, and it's about thirty-five grand." When way back when that was a lot of money, and um, 
you know, and then you have to pay for room and board and you have to live at a hotel in Skokie, Illinois. So you were a hotel resident for the 90 days you wow. were there, which was expensive. You're not um, kidding. Yeah. Crazy expensive. So, but by the time I got done, I applied and everything else and I started my apprenticeship and, um, you know, picked it up pretty fast. My mom was a nurse. So we had like microscopes as gifts and, and all technical kind of gifts for Christmas, which I got. My dad used to build satellite dishes and, and all kind of fun stuff. So he uh, built our first TV and our first VCR by Heathkit from uh, from Radio Shack. That's awesome. Yeah. So we were all kind of technical geeks. I was a nerd long before you were. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and so it was really cool. Anyway, so I, I just got into this, and it, I don't know why it just seemed to click to me. I picked it up really quickly and understood the concept. And before you know it, I was brewing, and he's like, he goes, you're done. I said, what do you mean I'm done? He goes, you're ready to go. He goes, I can't teach you anymore. I said, really? And he goes, I, he said, really? He goes, we need to get your application in. So I did that for about a year and a half. I was supposed to have a two-year apprenticeship. Um, and I got my application in. And sure enough, the second year I was picked. And uh, they had five, five slots that were open. And I went on to graduate the Siebel Institute of Brewing Technology, having never graduated from Penn State, um, <laughs> and, um, which, which was fine. Of course, my mother was like, you're leaving Penn State to do what? Go make <laughs> beer, ma! You know, so uh, that wasn't yeah. a good thing. But anyway, uh, it worked out. And uh, I was a class officer. I went to school with John Stroh III and Carl Schmidt from Schmitz. Uh, we, had wow. a, we had a tremendous class. Um, when, when, when I went through and, uh, all those guys are still lifelong friends today. Um, and all the guys from Coors and Miller and Strohs and Bud and, uh, you know, Heineken and, and, uh, uh, Modelo and all roll up. And it was just really, really a great, a cause that's great who was going class. to school at that time. Right. Because were people and, who were like, like the scions of the next generation. Yeah. And you know, what was cool was, is most of these guys had worked in a brewery for 20 years. Yeah. And here comes this little snot nosed punk that's in his twenties going, yeah, I'm going to be a brewmaster. And like, what do you know about beer? You know, I've been working in a brewery for 20 years and now I'm becoming a brewmaster. And so really that was the start of the bucking the system of, of going in. And they all told me, you're not going to pass. You're not going to pass. You know, and that's in the first couple of weeks. And then, of course, they elected me a class officer. I was sergeant <laughs> in arms. And things turned around. And you know what? I needed a lot of technical help, right? Yeah. A lot of those guys, I mean, I, I you know, was not the brightest bulb on the tree. Um, and a lot of those guys were way, way, way sharper in brewing with me. And they pulled me aside and said, come on, get your dinner, come to my room, and let's talk beer. And we'd talk beer till 2, 3, 4 in the morning and come back at 7 for class. And I mean, it was like that for 90 days and, you know, I passed, uh, and, and, and I did pretty well for my experience level. Um, but it was way over my head. Um, and I'm still learning today. I go, I go back to my books and I keep rereading and I take courses through the MBAA. Um, and of course I'm the past president of the, of the New York state chapter, uh, here and, and I've done that for years. I've been an MBAA member for about 22 years. Uh, Master Brewers Association of America, and uh, we're trying to push all of our local guys to get in that as well because you can learn a ton. Um, and so, and then I've been brewing beer ever since. So, yeah, really, uh, really, just a great career to fall into. <clears throat> so. Were you just professionally brewing beer? Or was it home brewing? Was it everything? I never home brewed a day in my life. Really? So you, you just kept on kept on yeah. working in different places? Yes. I started at a I started at a local craft brewery with a seven barrel system and, and I've been brewing ever since. So 
when you you bounced from bounced from Pennsylvania, you went to school. Did you stay in Pennsylvania for a while, or did you come up to New York? No, actually, um, my wife, um, the first time, my first wife was stayed in Pennsylvania. I couldn't get a job in PA. There were because you know, it was thirty four breweries in the nation. Right, right. So I went to a G Heilman plant in Auburndale, Florida, which was a large plant like Genesee, and I was the brewmaster. So we're doing about a million barrels a year of all kind of cool beers. Wow, uh, Winn Dixie grocery store beers, uh, private label beers, uh, ABC liquor store beers, Gator Lager, the beer with a bite. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, and it really kind of cool. Um, and, you know, I was the brewmaster of the whole plant. So, um, that was right out of school, and that's that's a that's a crazy amount of responsibility for somebody uh, right out of school. Yeah, yeah, I handled it really, really well. And after about two years, it was tough because being separated from your wife was was hard. Of course. Um, so I said I need to get closer to home. She's in Pennsylvania, so uh, DME Diversified Metal Engineering, which used to build brew systems, was up in Canada. They were looking for a New England installer and a guy to run this pub. So I applied at their I applied at their at their uh, headquarters, and then uh, I applied at the place that was installing the pub got the job that was martha's exchange in nashville new hampshire and uh so my first year there uh actually the first six months there we won a silver medal for scotch ale at the great american beer festival beautiful and uh and that was just yeah uh, my start of there i was there for almost six years um and uh ended up getting divorced while i was up there but <laughs> well what are you gonna do uh had my son and uh and who was fabulous i've raised him since he was uh, about four years old by myself and uh, so, and that's been that's been marvelous. So, yeah. uh, and then you know, I've I've job hopped with uh, DME for a while. Got out to Michigan, installed five or six pubs up there. Uh, I installed I don't know thirty or forty in New England when I was there. Wow. Uh, flew to Manchester, England, like we said earlier, to install a pub there. So I've probably got about eighty installs underneath my belt uh, of of all of all new equipment and helped a lot of people with their installs and um really and just really traveled around and went trained brewers and left. Yeah. So we're really cool because I got to work on a bunch of different systems in a bunch of different cities and um, it really kind of honed my skills for installing and operations of equipment. Uh, and that's how I really became this great technical brewer um, that I believe I am uh, and, was because of that. And now you're bringing that. So we're, we're going to round it out. You're bringing that to the Genesee Pilot Program at the brew house where you're going to get stuff that you will not see in stores. Absolutely. Stuff, different stuff all the time. All the time. You know, a, a variety is the spice of life, and everybody wants something new, what's new, what's innovative. And, you know, everybody has their two-week wonders, right? I mean, I look at Roarbox with Space Kitty yeah, and how that just kicked butt for a month. And then everybody's like, okay, but I had that. What's next? Yeah. You know, so there is no long-term loyalty to anyone anymore. And it's really kind of what you brought up way earlier in this podcast was – Go somewhere, try beer you normally wouldn't try, and you might like it. And that is the fun, is to try new stuff, try innovative things that um, you know you haven't really tried. And you're going you're gonna to resort to your standards. You're going to resort to, oh, I drink stouts, or I drink porters, or I drink lagers, or I drink pilsners, or whatever it is that you care to like. Um, you're going to find your niche, but you're still going to be able to explore. Uh, and you're going to become a partial beer nerd, not <laughs> completely beer nerds like you and I. <laughs> well, you know what? I think that's a great way to end this. Um, and coming up uh, this Friday, I think this will probably coming out Thursday or Friday this week. So um, either tomorrow or today, uh, there'll be the Genesee uh, Keg Tree Lighting event at six o'clock. Uh, special release of Dean's uh, Bourbon Barrel Aged 
uh, stout, correct? Scotch ale. Yep. Scotch ale. Scotch ale. Scotch ale. So yeah. limited release, probably only available for a few weeks at the brew house, if yep. at all. Yep. Smaller yep. release, 10 barrels, and it's Friday from 5 to 7, and the tree lighting actually happens at 6, and it's free to people to come by and Perfect. Watch. So keep an eye on what Dean's doing. You're going to see more stuff in stores, and um, one, really glad to, glad to have had you over. This is... Um, I've been circling around you for a while, but it is great to talk to somebody who has so much passion for the business. And um, I'm really excited to see what happens with the community and with you guys as stewards. I think we're in uh, good hands. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I really had a blast and I would love to come back. Sounds good, man. Cheers. Thanks so much.